Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 15 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Now that is an antimetaboly if I ever heard one. And if you don't know what the word means, you go listen to episode 14 where I talked about it at length. Antimetaboly. We have a victim-laden episode planned for today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can listen in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part of the show, we have a mix of new questions and some that we didn't get to in episode 14. I just talk too much sometimes. It starts with an administrative question we got from somebody. How does one become a guest on the Pennsylvania Project? And we could hit that. After that, we're going to talk about some unlimited sheriffs, followed by some race-conscious sheriffs, and time permitting, depending on how much I talk, we're going to do a response from the me portion of episode 11 about reducing the size of the Pennsylvania legislature. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is 100% political. We have the treasurer of the Pennsylvania Green Party, Timothy Runkle. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. I'm going to use something today that's a close segue off our guest. We're going to talk about how the two old parties continually diss us challenger parties. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into the mailbag. Today we have with us a very special Toastmaster. He is the third-ranking official in District 38 that spans half of Pennsylvania and half of New Jersey. His official title is Club Growth Director. He's a distinguished Toastmaster, and his name is Joe Smith. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Joe. Thanks for having me here, Ken. Now, let me ask a question, Joe. What do you like about being a Toastmaster? I love everything about being a Toastmaster, but primarily I've learned at being a Toastmaster the phrase, I can do that. Things that I normally would be terrified to do, it's like, oh, let me give it a shot. Let me try it out. The worst thing that happens is you fail, and you learn from your the lesson of messing up. Excellent. So it's, you try something odd like showing up on a radio show. Exactly. When I said to my friends, I'm doing this because it scares me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a long time since speaking in public has scared me. Well, you have a lot of practice today. All right, let's dig right into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is never just to complain. Instead, we're here to explore solutions. What do we got today, Joe? Okay, our first question comes from Bob Lankin of <coughs> Montgomery County. How do you become a featured guest on your show? <laughs> small bills, Bob. Stacks and stacks of small bills. No, I'm kidding. FB stacks and stacks of large bills. No, I'm still kidding. It's actually pretty straightforward to become a guest on the Pennsylvania Project. As I always keep saying, our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. So it follows that our guests already have some solution in hand for some of the challenges facing Pennsylvania. And you know, that's a key word here, Pennsylvania. We don't talk about Washington or Russia or the Muddle East. 
or the never-ending parade of wars that the U.S. likes to instigate. Don't get me started. It seems like every other talk show does that, but not us. In fact, to my knowledge, the Pennsylvania Project is the only talk show in the world that focuses exclusively on Pennsylvania. If it ain't about Pennsylvania, can you don't play that? The Pennsylvania Project is also different from other talk shows because rather than your typical radio interview, we try to make it a conversation instead. Now that can sometimes get interesting too, especially when the solution our guests present actually create more challenges. For example, episode one, we had a political liberal as our guest. And like most liberals, his solutions were usually how to use my means for his ends. That's not a good solution if you're a libertarian and want to respect the rights and property of others. In episode five, we had an insurance activist. His solution to overregulation of the insurance industry? More regulation. Episode seven, we had a card-carrying member of the GOP. So same with him as it was with the liberal, except that he wanted to run my personal life rather than my economic life. But I guess my favorite one where we had an interesting person was episode 12. It was a real kicker because we had an attorney here. He was trying to justify $500 an hour billing rates and the mumbo-jumbo court procedures that we've got. It would have been a great laugh if it hadn't been for all of the things that they've taken away from us. They've taken away the entire quote-unquote justice system. Talk about a bad solution. Good grief. Now you got me ranting. Let me get back to your question on how to be a guest here at the Pennsylvania Project. Well, bottom line, it's got to be Pennsylvania-related. It's got to be a challenge. It's got to be a solution, right or wrong. And if it's wrong, expect to be challenged. And definition of wrong, well, the opposite of right, of course. And here at the Pennsylvania Project, right means you have the inalienable right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. Pretty simple. It's amazing that liberals, conservatives, regulators, attorneys, sometimes they just don't get it. But I'm digressing. After hearing all that, if you want to appear on Pennsylvania Project as a guest, contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Just leave your name, contact information, and somebody will get back to you. Small bills would be nice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what else we got, Joe? Okay, another one of our regular contributors, Larry Fry of Bedford County, asks, The sheriff is unique in law enforcement being an elected rather than appointed office. Under the current law, Pennsylvania sheriffs have limited authority when compared to sheriffs in other states. What are your thoughts on empowering Pennsylvania's elected sheriffs with full law enforcement powers? Uh, short answer is I have my doubts. But, you know, the, the office of sheriff is incredibly old. It goes back under the English common law back to the Middle Ages of England. But it goes all the way back to ancient times, like in Persia, I think the first sheriffs existed. Pennsylvania Constitution, my job description as I like to call it. I got it in my hand. I never leave home without it. It only mentions it once. It calls it a county government officer, and that's it. Black's Law Dictionary calls the sheriff the chief executive and administrative officer of the county, and therefore the chief law enforcement officer. But once you say that someone gets police powers, well, in my mind, that, that means things are going to quickly get out of control because everything becomes subject to the police powers. It's amazing the things that they list under police powers. Health regulations, they're based on the police powers. Building codes, police powers. Bathroom bills that they're talking about, police powers. they got bathroom police. Good grief. There are a whole bunch more. I'll be here all afternoon talking about what the police powers are. So the sheriffs and our cops already have relatively unlimited authority. 
And I'd be concerned about expanding that authority even further. Good grief. Police are already out of control. As I mentioned in my rant at the end of episode eight, they're beating people up. They're tasering handcuffed suspects. They're driving bulldozers over innocent outdoorsmen. They're shooting unarmed citizens in the bank, like they, in the back, like they, and not in the bank, they did it outside, out in East Pittsburgh. And time and time again, they get away with it because of a flaw in the law. Check it out, episode eight, the rant at the end. There's not much more I can add to that except to go through it all again. I could just say the police already have way too much power. And the last thing I want to do is give them any more. Sorry, Larry. I don't think they should have it. Okay. Speaking of sheriffs, here's an interesting email exchange. You sent to gunpermit1 at moncopa.org the subject carry permit renewal. Yep. Application attached includes scan of PA's driver's license front and back. Any questions, please let me know. Mm-hmm. The response I just noticed you do not have an acceptable race in quotation marks. Please correct and resend all the documents. <laughs> to which you responded, my apologies. I thought I was no longer permitted to be discriminated on the race on the basis of race. I have made a change and hope it meets with your needs. Oh, man. <clears throat> Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it when it came in. I, I get to get a dark chuckle out of that email from the sheriff's office. That kind of stuff is unbelievable in this day and age. It's, why are they still concerned about race? I don't know about you, but I want to know why. Why are they concerned about race? You know what I put in there? You know what was my unacceptable race? Human. <laughs> I put down human. Right? It's none of their business what I am. You know, and don't they have a little checkbox? There's not checkbox. It was just a little blank. And I could write anything in there. I, I don't think there's enough room to write Caucasian or Mongoloid or half Polish, half Ukrainian. My brothers and I, we call ourselves pukes, half Polish, half Ukrainian. I probably would have thought that was inappropriate as well. But I want to know who said that. I want to know why they said it. And, you know, I still haven't been over there to get my carry permit. I was supposed to get it yesterday, but they're not ready. I don't know why it's taken so long. Article 1, Section 21 of the Constitution says the right to bear arms shall not be questioned. I wonder what they're out there questioning. Beats me. I don't know. But when they do call me and say, Ken, come in and get it, I'm going to take a copy of that email with me, and I'm going to want to know who wrote this. What did they say? Why are they saying this? What's this improper race? Don't they have an other checkbox? Why do they have to do this to me? So that is coming up. So in a future episode, once I hear back, I'm going to ask myself a question. I say, Ken, how did that turn out when you went to talk to the sheriff? I will let you know. And you know, I'm going on a segue here, but I had an encounter with the police the other day. I parked my 1972 Plymouth Fury outside of the my mechanics place. It was across the street. And the police somehow thought there was something wrong with that. It's titled. It's got tags on it. It's insured. But they sent the cops over to talk to my wife saying, why is your car parked over at your mechanics? <laughs> uh, maybe I should stop and see them when I'm coming back from the, from the other place. Anyway, I always like to do that. It's a lot of fun. You learn stuff. Enough of that. I'll get back to you once I talk to the sheriff. What else we got, Joe? And we have another question from Larry Fry in Bradford County. 
I agree with your previous statement that reducing the size of the state assembly would concentrate more power and fewer representatives, less accountable to the voters. There is a persistent concern among residents of more rural areas that their voices are drowned out by the majority population centers. Mm -hmm. To balance that, what are your thoughts on constitutional reform to reorganize the state senate by counties, similar to the federal constitution where each state elects two senators, each county would elect a senator or two, rather than having what is effectively a second representative assembly? You know, Larry, when I when I heard that, I thought it was an interesting thought. It's kind of like having a republic inside of Pennsylvania. But when I thought about it, wouldn't that create the inverse of the problem we're trying to solve here? Think about it. Because if we did that, the cities would complain that their voices are starting to get drowned out because now you've given more of a voice to the counties. That's a problem inherent in our representative democracy overall, not just because of the republic nature of it, because 50.1% and wind up bossing around the other 49.9%. I think your solution would be to invert those percentages or make them even worse. Uh, I would say this proper solution would be to limit what damage that 50.1% can do. And of course, the best way I know to do that is the libertarian way. Law should be based on our underlying principle that you have the right to live your life your own way without government interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. That way, the 50.1% couldn't disrespect those other 49.9 by imposing their will on them or whatever. That was the basis of my bathroom bill crisis, the solution to the bathroom bill crisis that I talked about at length in episode nine, back in the the day that we had no guest. So I talked about bathrooms for a half an hour. It's pretty cool in episode nine. Because I think the more local any decision is made, the better it is. And if you give more power to the majority of the counties, that, that doesn't do that. I oppose any sort of concentration of power, either for the cities or the counties. I just like it to be a little more democratic, where you can live your life your own way. You know, I think it's going to do it for the you portion of the show. We'll pause for this information, and when we return, we're going to be talking with the treasurer of the Pennsylvania Green Party, Timothy Runkel. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? 
Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 15 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today is 100% political. He's treasurer of the Pennsylvania Green Party, Timothy Runkel. Tim has been involved with the Green Party since 2005 and presently serves on several committees of the Green Party of Pennsylvania, focusing on fundraising, outreach, and candidate education, sort of thing I like. He's in his third year as treasurer for the state party, and he's also co-chair of the Lancaster County Green Party. In 2017, he ran for the Elizabethtown Borough Council, receiving 8.5% of the vote in a three-way race. Very good. He also ran for the judge of elections in 2017, and he won. Excellent. Tim has worked on projects that are near and dear to my heart. For example, increasing accessibility of the average person to obtain elected office. And I guess he's a poster child for that, having been elected. He's also an active participant in ballot access e- efforts, collecting signatures for Jill Stein's 2016 presidential campaign, Jules Mermelstein for Superior Court Judge, and the Green Party's 2018 slate of candidates. And with all that, he's also an energetic follower of public legislation, a frequent contributor to newspapers with the intent of alarming readers about Green Party legislative actions with a focus on peace, justice, ecology, and democracy. Quite a guy. Tim, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Well, thank you very much, Ken. I'm uh, glad to be here, and uh, thank you for inviting me. This is a great opportunity for us to discuss. Absolutely. And, you know, some people were surprised when I said, I got a Green Party state guy coming on. They're like, aren't you doing a libertarian show? I said, yeah, but they don't understand. How we, we work a lot with the Green Party, and I'm thinking of the Pennsylvania Ballot Access Coalition, mm-hmm. where I'm working with Bob Small, uh, Chris, I can't remember his name, Robinson, mm-hmm. and, and numerous other people. And we get along great because we all believe in fair ballot access. In fact, we've got a communist who's on the board. We've got Naderites. Our ballot access coalition has anybody who agrees with fair ballot access. And in fact, I call myself the mom of the Pennsylvania Ballot Access Coalition because if somebody starts talking about guns or universal health care or anything like that, I'm like, you boys shut up. You're going to blow us apart if you keep that up. <laughs> I'm channeling my mother here. It's pretty cool. Well, that's right. You know, I really got involved by ballot access. Um, that's where I was really charged. And with the Just Died in 2016 campaign, I did a lot of petitioning work. And I found that people want options. Mm-hmm. Uh, I circulated petitions for Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, Rocky Delafonte during that effort. And that's how I let in. When I was out on the streets talking to folks, we didn't talk about the political ideal ideologies of either candidate. I right. said, hey, you want options? If you're fed up with the two that you're going to get, then let's make some more options, and this is how it's done. Uh-huh. And that's where it starts is with ballot, ballot access, getting petitioning, and, and uh-huh. making that hard on-the-ground effort to get out there. Now, you know, you and I, we're probably going to use a lot of vernacular, a lot of inside words. We should probably define them as they go by. You mentioned petitioning. What's that mean? You're down on your hands and knees saying, oh, please, you've got to help us. <laughs> right. So petitioning um, for minor political bodies, 
um, or minor parties here in Pennsylvania, there's a way for you to get on the ballot and you circulate what they call nominating papers. Uh, It's very similar to what the old parties do in the primary, uh, except we have to collect many, many more signatures often. Uh, And what that looks like is it's just a a paper with with the candidate on it. Uh, You get signatures from people who are registered to vote in that district. Mm-hmm. And you get that total number in and you, you turn it on, your candidate should get on the ballot. Uh-huh. I've done a lot, obviously, so since I've run for governor three times. I've run for my town council in Abington five times over the years. Abington was real tough. I needed 17 signatures. Right. Good grief. How long does that take? Ten minutes, right? Right. My borough council was 10 signatures. <laughs> oh, man, you got it easier than I did. Now, and I'm going to talk about this later on, too, when I start ranting about how the two old parts— our old parties are always dissing us. But when I ran in 2002 for governor, I needed 21,000 right. signatures. And of those 21,000, my record was 850 in a day. That was out at Penn State. That's very strong. That's very strong. You <laughs> That's know, very and, strong. And like you say, you don't want to talk to people about issues. You just go up and say, excuse me, I'm collecting signatures to get my name on the November ballot. Can I ask you to sign, please? And it's amazing. Half the people will do it. Right. If they hesitate, I say, well, do you want to support democracy in your neighborhood? And they'll think about it and they'll say, libertarian, give me that. Or libertarian, no way. Or they don't even care. Everybody deserves a chance. That's probably what I hear the most. Right. Do you have a good petitioning story? Um, well, I'd say there's plenty of good stories out there. Uh, I, but my strongest wins, I suppose, were when I circulate for multiple people. Because like they say, if, if they scream about one party line oh i I can't i can't sign for a green all right well here's the libertarian position like (laughs) you you can sign for something like all we're trying to do is get people out there that's right and that wins a lot of times so Uh i i really enjoyed doing it that way um because you kind of came from a nonpartisan position at that point where you're just trying to trying to feed people and get on there yep yep i see that happen a lot too and you're right, it does put people at ease because the goal here is to get people on the ballot, more mm-hmm. choices for Pennsylvania. Now, one thing I did learn is that you don't go door knocking during Penn State games because <laughs> I got the door slammed in my face on numerous occasions. Uh-huh. You know, my worst door knocking thing, I, there was a nice lady. She said, sure, I'll sign your petition. And I left her my flyer. I was running for a governor. That was the second time I ran for governor in 2002. A little while later, I get a phone call. She's like, I'd like to see that petition again. Could you move to the house? And it's only a couple blocks away. I went back there and she had a pension. Like, she's scratching it out. She's like, I read what you stand for. And I don't believe in a word of it. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. No, it's always fun to do that kind of stuff. And I'm glad we don't do as many because we won that court case last year. No, two years ago now. Right. Right. So previ- you were talking about the number that you had to um – Acquire in, I think, your first run, right? So in 2002, I right. needed 21,000 signatures. Right. And I believe, um, so that's based on this, this formula where it's 2% the greatest number of votes in the last presidential ele- or general statewide election. Say it a little slower. 2%, 2% of the highest vote getter in the last election for that district. Right. So, for instance, when, uh, when the Obama election turned out the largest number uh, that we've seen in years, that requirement was something like, 80,000 signatures that people had to get. <laughs> and it was for a statewide candidate. And that's just a ridiculous amount it to, to try to tear into. Um, and I, I think in a, a four-month, five-month period. What do we get? We get from the primary until August 1st, 
So the primary, well, in the presidential years, that's in April. So we got May, June, July, August. We have four months. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're good. You can tell you've done this before. Yeah. Well, and people don't realize that, too, is that as a, when you go as a independent political bar, body or a minor party candidate, you can spend that whole summer knocking on doors, getting your message out as you're collecting signatures. That's That can be advantage, um, advantageous for somebody. Instead of the old parties get about a couple of weeks uh, before the primary, and then the door shut. The primary shuts mm-hmm. them out on anybody um, for choice. So their uh-huh. campaigns are actually very quick and tight, where ours... Yep. You know, people can get involved in them and spend a lot of time getting your message out. That's true. And sometimes I wind up doing too much. And you talk to the person and they'll find <laughs> that one thing they disagree with you and they won't sign. Right. And it's always that way. And, you know, I have, I have great respect for the Green Party when it comes to signatures because I've been in the political business in Pennsylvania for since, what, 2000? Sorry, wrong. 1992 was when I changed my registration to Libertarian. And in all that time, all the signatures collected – the record that I heard was 98,500 collected by a green guy, Carl right. Romanelli, right. in 2006. Right. And they, oh, they persecuted him for his effort. Too. Yeah, that case was, I'm good friends with Carl. That case was insane where uh, he was, his petitions were challenged. Uh-huh. Uh, and they took him into the court system and made him sit there with numbers of volunteers for a week on end picking apart his signatures mm-hmm. uh, to, to get them off the ballot. And then afterwards, they charged him all the legal fees, something like $80,000, yeah. uh, and his legal team that they would have had to pay just because he had the gall to run for office. Yes. And that was, uh, was a big case that was won, uh-huh. uh, which, which helped us out. We, now you're not allowed to, uh, well, those, those legal fees, you're never going to be taped Put, out, put your person out there that are never going to come back at you uh-huh. for legal fees for just for being challenged. Yep. And uh, the signature number, I think, went down. Well, there were separate cases. And you're stealing some of my thunder because that's part oh. of my rant. <laughs> and I'm not just going to talk about Carl, but also the people on either side of him because Carl wasn't the only one who was victimized by this law. Right. And there is also some backstory to that I want to get into as well. But you mentioned the challenge process. I mean, when they challenge you, you said you sat there for a week What does that look like? I mean, I've been there, so I could tell you some of the libertarian sides because we've been challenged too many times. Yeah, Challenges, uh, depending on the size of your position, they can be vicious. Uh, You're going to sit there with with a legal team normally, uh, if you have one, and there will be a lawyer that goes through each one of those signatures and they validate it. Uh, essentially, they look into the, the voter polls, the voter registration records, and say, is this a registered voter in that district? And mm-hmm. they'll pick it apart for any reason. Yeah. Oh, you know, this, the signature doesn't Signatures look the same. That, yeah. one, that one's gone. Or, oh, they, oh they, they abbreviated the name of the town. That one's done. That's not uh-huh. a valid signature. And they'll go, that's hard work that a lot of people put in uh, yeah. to get those signatures. And it is, it is hard to petition to make the everyday right. person understand hey, this has to be very clear because it can show up in court. And the judge will wind up wind up fining you if you don't get enough people in there. You're wasting my time. What are you doing here? Right. And everything like that. And, of course, I was ranting about the judicial system uh, two episodes ago back in episode 13. What luck. And I didn't get to judges. I mean, I, I was still going through lawyers and $500 an hour billing rates and things mm-hmm. like that. It just, it just took way, way, way too long. And, you know, one of, the, one of the heartbreaks that we found out on a couple of our challenges was that you call 
the Board of Elections and you ask them a question and they give you a flat out wrong answer. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you, you rely on it and the next thing you know is, oh, you didn't touch second base. Well, the umpire I talked to said second base isn't necessary here. Oh, no, you lose. Goodbye. We'll see you next election. Mm-hmm. We find that a lot. Um, and that's why I work in education and advocacy for, for people learning how to do this process, learning how to run for office, because there is just a, you know, a mountain of bureaucracy and checks that you have to check off in order to get your name on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to kick people off that way. <laughs> you, know, you don't have a financial disclosure statement. Goodbye. Um, but... And you get different information from different boards of elections. That's right. It's county run. There isn't, I mean, there is a unified code, right, statewide, but it's up to the counties to run those elections. So they're people too. They can not ever come across uh, a third party candidate running in their district sometimes. So they may not even know how to handle it. They don't know. So we got to get out there more. We got to run for more elections and things like that. Right. And it's not just Greens and Libertarians, but it's also the Constitution Party. Communist Party, mm-hmm. all these people, we all share the same headaches over and over and over. My guest today is the treasurer of the Green Party of Pennsylvania, Tim Runkle, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up the one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Wheel Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner? Always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generate new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You don't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagine you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. 866-383-6899. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. That's 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities Investment Advisory Services are offered 
through Granite Securities, LLC member, FINR, SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Granite Securities, LLC. The Green Party of Pennsylvania are grassroots activists, environmentalists, advocates for social justice, nonviolent resistors, and regular citizens who have had enough of corporate-dominated politics. Their goals are to promote green values by organizing communities, guiding legislation, providing viable new political options, and making government more participatory for all peoples. For more details, contact the Green Party of Pennsylvania at 717-839-2395 or locate them online at gpofpa.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 15 of the Pennsylvania Project and our guest Tim Runkle, the treasurer of the Green Party of Pennsylvania. And, you know, a lot of times I'm always surprised when the guest doesn't run out the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, were, we haven't come up with a single thing we disagree about yet because we were talking in the first part there about the, the mess that we've got to go through when it comes to the, to the election, election process. And I, I really admire you for doing the education and getting, getting people to learn about it. In fact, I've gotten calls from Republicans and Democrats asking me how they get on the ballot. One guy was actually running for lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. And I'm more than happy to help anybody because my goal here is Pennsylvania, not necessarily just the libertarians. There's a lot of other things we could change, too. I mean, what are, what are the pieces of election reform can we do? I already talked about the Pennsylvania Ballot Access Coalition. We had introduced in, what, four successive sessions the Voters' Choice Act – which would make it easier to form third parties. Mm-hmm. I hate the term third parties, and I hate the, even more so minor parties, but I'll talk about that later. <laughs> I notice that you use the term old parties all the time. Very good, very commendable. I use the same term myself. Yes. But right now, with our recent court victory, the Voters' Choice Act is not as critical. And we just had a big summit recently to say, what direction are we going to be taking it? And we're not ready for prime time to bring that out yet. That'll be on a future show. We'll get, you know, Chris Robinson or one of those people in here to talk about it. But what other sorts of election reforms are you working on? Well, yeah, if you've been uh, looking at the at the PA House or Senate during this legislation session, they've actually put on a big effort to do election reforms. Uh-huh. Um, and that's primarily led by Mike Fulmer. Um, in, in the Senate, he, he, he Senator he's been, Mike Fulmer. He's yes. been a great friend. Yeah, he's he's he has been a great friend to the Libertarian Party uh, and the Green Party and our other challenging parties out there because mm-hmm. um, he was involved in the Voters Choice Act. Uh-huh. Uh, and I recall years back having public hearings where we testified yep. uh, before the Senate, and so he still understands that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to bring Pennsylvania's election code into you know, current law, uh-huh. uh, the current times, and things to that matter. Uh, they actually had legislation on the table to eliminate straight party voting. I hear, well, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but I hear that it's passed both houses and it's heading for the governor for his signature. And I'm wondering, what are they planning? Why are they getting rid of straight party voting? Because they love that. I mean, what's the, what's the backstory on that? I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, I think that there's the folks are kind of split about it. When you look, um, when in other states had have tried to eliminate uh, straight party voting, which Pennsylvania is only one or one of eight or nine that have it. Uh, for instance, Michigan, they eliminated it, and then there was a court case that brought it back on huh. because typically uh, the argument has been that straight parting voting is used in urban areas that are densely populated, that it takes a long time to vote, and those areas are typically of a minority population. So eliminating straight parting voting can have an adverse effect. Oh, um, no. oh, wait a minute. So they're inefficient at running elections, and so for that, they're going to put in this this lever. And that, and that's why I have to point out when people were upset about the effort to eliminate straight party voting, said, "Well, look at the other reform bills that are on the table. Mm-hmm. There, there's bills to address the issues with having long lines of polling places. Uh, there is things, bills to open up vote centers, mm-hmm. uh, early voting, early voting, yeah." Uh, that would be cool. Drive-by voting, essentially, <laughs> uh, was was in discussion. Uh, uh-huh. Even uh, incre- the no-excuse absentee ballot, which is essentially a mail-in ballot. Uh-huh. Uh, if you don't need to provide an excuse, then you're just Why? mailing it in. Why would you need an excuse in the first place? I don't want to go out there. I'm just lazy. I'm a busy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to waste my time standing in line there. Let me just mail it in. Yeah, there was even a reform bill to make it not a requirement to prove that you have a disability in oh, order to get an absentee ballot. That's insane. Uh, because right now you have to essentially get a doctor's note. That's insane. It's, it's the same thing with the medical marijuana laws. You know, there's a short list of quote-unquote approved diseases, and all these people who are outside of that range, that's ah, just too bad for you. Right. So there's a slate of legislation that's uh, moved through several hearings, and it's sitting there right now. Uh, and the one that got most attention recently was uh, the vo- it went to the governor, the voting machines, uh, trying mm-hmm. to, to get some funding from the state government to all the counties because they're under a mandate for to update well, their voting. That's machines. your that's your fault. <laughs> it is. Green, that's the Green Party's fault. You guys yeah. won a court case. Was it Jill Stein who was the head of that one? Le- right, right. Lead, lead voice because we need voter verifiable ballots. Yeah, that was part of the case. Uh, they, during the 2016 election, they tried to trigger a recount in Pennsylvania, found out it was ridiculously hard. So that was mm-hmm. part of the lawsuit. Um, a result of that was we found out that there's not a verifiable paper trail That's of right. our vote. That's right. So the the lawsuit that was settled um, between the state of Pennsylvania and, and Jill Stein triggered part of that requirement to get new voting machines that have a verifiable paper trail. And it mm-hmm. also did a requirement uh, that they would automatically be audited, the the paper trail, versus whatever the machine spits out. Uh-huh. You know, I'm an information technology professional. I started my first programming job while I was still in high school, 17 years old. I was doing programming, COBOL programming for the Bank of New Jersey. And when I saw we were going to electronic voting machines, I cringed because I know how to get around that kind of stuff. And I, <laughs> my wife, whenever she has problems, says, get over here. I can't, I can't get to this one website. And there's, there's always a way around it. And if I can do it, you know, and I'm just this guy. I'm not a professional. And I'm sure other people can do it too. So I'm, I'm glad we're going to be going to that. But, it, but it's all your fault. We're going to be spending all this money and make it voter verifiable. Well, you know, sometimes it hurts. That's all I got to say is good government. Yeah, honestly, you know, 
our elections are integral to our society. You need to have confidence in them. Uh-huh. And when you're using machines that are a decade old, um, you know, I, I have as I'm elected judge of elections, I have the opportunity to view when they mm-hmm. actually uh, program the machines uh-huh. in Lancaster County. And I got I asked them, when's the last time that somebody viewed it? Go, well, I don't know, when we bought them? <laughs> and every election since, really? just no, I mean, I'm not very concerned about it, but I was shocked that it said, oh, well, nobody watches you program these things. No, and they won't let you see the source code either. Right. That was part of the, the case in the audit, is that we would have never been able to know what the code is in the back that's, uh-huh. that's calculating and saving these votes. You, you'll never see it. So that's why... Uh, an audible paper trail is so vital because anybody can count paper. Uh-huh. Do you know who invented a voter verifiable paper ballot system? No, who was that? Thomas Edison. That was his first <laughs> patent was for a voter verifiable voting machine. He was on to something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A long time ago. Tom Edison is one of my personal heroes. Now I've got Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy rocks. Full disclosure, I'm a Tesla shareholder. So uh, I was going to say something else about, oh, that was it. We just put out a joint press release. We, we parties work together all the time. Libertarians work together with the Greens and our ballot access coalition. And this one was on a bill about open primaries. Right. Uh, that's Senate Bill 300. Yeah. It's called the Open Primary Bill. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, an open I need to say that, that it's the definition of a semi closed primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right now, Pennsylvania is, is a closed primary. Only uh, Democrats or Republicans can vote in the primary. SB 300 intends to open that up to unaffiliated voters. So, if you, uh, when you register to vote, if you check the box that said no affiliation, or, uh, or none, then they intend to allow you to choose a ballot of your choice on the primary day uh, to participate in their election. Mm-hmm. So that's what you call a semi-closed primary because it still leaves out all the people that declared a party that is not Democrat, Republican, or unaffiliated or none. Mm-hmm. So if you said independent, you're, you're out. If you said green, you're out. If you said libertarian, you're out. Uh, pizza party, you're, you're out. <laughs> and you know, that, that really amounts to a, over almost close to a half million voters in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it disenfranchises people. Mm-hmm. In fact, I ranted about that in my Sticks in the Craw of episode five. I went on and I, I just called it a disenfranchisement and it revealed for the, the Democrats and Republicans for what they really are. They're just trying to feed at the public trough. Mm-hmm. Why are we paying for their beauty contest? But they figure by opening it up to more people, they get a broader constituency and it gives some kind of legitimacy because now there are more people saying, oh, no, we can vote in the primary. You're not going to take our primary away. It's like, well, if you're going to vote in the primary, shouldn't you be a member of that party? Good grief. It's like having atheists voting for what priests have to be, what the qualifications are to be a priest. They even deny religion. How can you have those Mm -hmm. people in there? You should listen to the rest of my rant. Episode five is a lot of a lot of bit of fun. And, you know, this has been a lot of fun, and I can, I'm can, i always amazed at how quickly the time goes because we are now coming up on the edge of what we need to do. So, Tim, let me ask you, have any final, final thoughts, something we didn't cover you want to you mention? Uh, yeah, 
I do actually, uh, and I'll go off topic on this one, go but I'll still it. keep it in Pennsylvania. So on the ride up, I was uh, listening to the radio, and they were talking about the detention centers on our border, um, essentially the cr- concentration camps and the immigration crisis that we're having. Mm-hmm. And to keep it local, all I would like to say is that this is an unacceptable action. We shouldn't be part of it. And there Agreed. are actions going on here and across the country uh, to say that this is unacceptable. In Pennsylvania, be aware that there's the Burks Family Detention Center and a large uh, detention in York, yes. actually, yes. that not a lot of people know about. And there's an effort to shut that down. Government or Governor Wolf's made a statement recently that basically said, hey, my hands are tied. I got nothing to do with this. So it's really up to us to say that this is just unacceptable to treat people in this manner. I agree. And you know, when I was running for governor, people would ask me, Ken, what do you think about immigration? No, I'm running for governor, right? What, mm-hmm. do I, what, could, what could I say about that? But I always have an answer. I think, you know, I think we should keep the bridges to New Jersey open. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I work in Jersey. My largest clients over in New Jersey, I can't say their name. Of course, that would be um, improper. So any last things you want to get on a website or, you know, say hello to your wife or something? Well, yeah, I'll definitely say hello to my lovely wife and my two great children. They were great to let me out tonight and, <laughs> uh, and talk to you. So mm-hmm. I appreciate them. Uh, but definitely, folks, keep involved. Um, find us online at www.gpofpa.org. And, uh, you know, the Libertarian colleagues, we appreciate all the work that we're doing together because it's, it's absolutely Amen. great and vital. Amen. And that's why we're still working together and sitting across the table and you didn't run out in the middle of the thing. Right. <laughs> well, that's going to about wrap it up for the them portion of the show. Like, thanks again to my guest, Tim Runkle, the treasurer of the Green Party of Pennsylvania. We're appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. It's good to have you here. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, something we touched upon earlier. And that's how badly the two old parties are and how they continually diss us challenger parties. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Meh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot C-O-M. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march towards liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. 
It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 15 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a little bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Well, if you've been listening since the top of the show, you know it really sticks in my craw. How the two old parties continually diss us challenger parties. And no, I'm not being paranoid, although paranoids have enemies too, you know. But they definitely treat us as enemies. Because even the law, they diss us. You know what the legal term they use for our parties? They call us minor political parties. Minor? I beg your pardon? Good grief. Even the common vernacular disses us. Third parties. What's that, lower than second class? I don't know. Well, for your information, the term that we, dirt beneath their feet, political parties prefer, is we prefer to be called challenger parties, thank you. But good luck getting people to change their ways. Good grief, they're set. You know, in a world where people can identify themselves in whatever manner they prefer, with every, any term they like, and the rest of us have to respect that, isn't it kind of Neanderthal that they can still diss us by law? That's one reason why I like to call them the two old parties. And Tim, thank you for calling the two old parties too, because that's what they are. They're out of step with the times. And we can call them that because turnabout is fair play, right? Although I think I'm being a lot more polite with them than they are with us because I can think of a lot more appropriate terms for those two old parties. But this is a family show, and certainly the FCC would complain if I spoke my mind about it. And you know, it's not just the rude names that they call us. It's the illegal laws that they pass. Article 1, Section 5 of the Pennsylvania Constitution says, All elections shall be free and equal. Well, to paraphrase George, George Orwell's Animal Farm, some political parties are more equal than others. As we were talking earlier, when I ran for governor in 2002, Ed Rendell needed 2,000 signatures to get his name on the ballot. I needed over 21,000, more than 10 times as many. Is that equal? No, of course not. Three times I've personally gone to court as a plaintiff challenging the constitution of that law. One went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and I lost. You know why I lost? Because they said that the state has a valid interest in preventing, quote unquote, ballot clutter. I beg your pardon, again, presenting the voters with a variety of choices isn't valid, but when it comes to their taxpayer-funded primaries, Bring on the ballot clutter. Good grief. Look how many Democrats challenged Trump in 2019. That first debate was so large, they had to break it up into two nights with like 10 candidates each. Isn't that, what, stage clutter? (laughs) I guess not. I can't understand why they've created such unconstitutional high hurdles. It's not like there are too many choices out there. In fact, the last time I looked, I was looking for the Pennsylvania Ballot Access Coalition, Almost 40% of the state rep races around Pennsylvania had only one candidate in the November election. What is this, Soviet Russia? One candidate? I think we could use a little bit of ballot clutter, use a few more choices out there. I would say good grief again, but somebody said last show I said good grief four times. I've said it twice now, and I'm going to say it three or four more times before I'm done this rant. And you can come back and rant about me saying good grief. 
because it's not just the rude names that they're calling us, minor parties and stuff like that, and the unconstitutional laws, like 21,000 signatures, and bogus arguments that stick in my crawl like ballot clutter. The worst is that economic extortion that they put us through, all at the hands of the two old parties. It's a strong word, extortion, but you know, it's a true one. It began with the first statewide race after my 2000 race for governor. Because in 2004, the Democrats started using a new trick. And sometimes I think this is my fault. They say, oh, after Ken, we don't want this again. They had to figure out something. And you know what they did? They took a, took a trick from a, one of our ballot access members, John Murphy. He's a Naderite. He said, quote, there are two ways to defeat democracy. One is by preventing citizens from voting and the other is by preventing worthy candidates from appearing on the ballot. Well, the Democrats took the second part of that message to heart. In 2004, they challenged the signatures of Ralph Nader and took him to court. And one by one, just like Tim and I were talking earlier, they eliminated signature after signature after signature, called them bad for specious reasons like we were talking about. Like if a person signed their name, they should have printed it, and printed it, they should have signed, oops, bad signature, not registered to vote, which is not required by the law, by, by the way. Oh, sorry, bad signature. If they've moved, bad signature. Ditto marks, bad signature. One after the other, they struck one after the other. Tim is sitting here shaking his head. We've been there. Both of us have been there. Eventually, they got him down, poor Ralph Nader, below the 20,000 he needed, and they kicked him off the ballot. But they weren't content with victory in court. They also fined him $80,000 for the temerity of offering voters a choice. Why did they do that? because they could. Two years later, in 2006, they did it again. As we were talking earlier, they did a Green Party candidate, Carl Romanelli, challenged his 98,500 signatures, kicked him, they drove him down below the 51,000. He needed 51,000 signatures that year. What's that? 25 times as many as the two old parties. But they kicked him off the ballot and fined him $80,000. He's just this guy, he's from, you know, regular guy from upstate Pennsylvania. Republicans tried the same trick again in 2018. This time they challenged the libertarian presidential candidate, Bob Barr. But Bob was a former congressman, and he had the moxie to fight them off, and he prevailed in court. But in 2010, oh, they said, we had an even better trick. You know, they, they didn't take anybody to court. Instead, the Democrats and the Republicans threatened every challenger party candidate with economic extortion. I have here the letter that the Republicans sent to us that year, and I'm going to read it for you. Brace yourself. In renomination of Douglas M. Jameson, 16th August 2010, Mark, following up on a conversation earlier this evening, I do not have an exact figure on what our costs will be if the signature count continues and my clients are required to complete the review and or move forward with the hearing. However, a rough estimate would be $92,255 to $106,455, which would include costs such as legal fees, travel and lodging, compensable time for support staff, process of service fees and expenses, hearing preparation, lay and expert witnesses, fees and costs, photocopies, meals, legal research, and conference costs, pensions, to name a few. These costs are comparable to costs awarded in recent years by the Commonwealth Court in similar nomination paper challenges, including nomination papers of Nader, nomination papers of Romanelli, which, of course, you know were assessed not only against the candidates, but their lawyers and their law firms. 
Please let me know if you need any further information in order to discuss with your clients a withdrawal of their candidacy for governor, lieutenant governor, and United States senator. As I stated, the sooner your clients agree to withdraw, the more likely my clients will agree not to pursue recovery of all their costs incurred in pursuing this matter. Best regards, Ronald L. Hicks, Jr., Esquire. Now, is that economic extortion or what? The result was every single candidate was forced to withdraw or face for personal financial ruin. You know, in 2010, there were no challenger party candidates at all on the statewide ballot. And people ask me, why didn't I run that year? <laughs> hey, I don't want to lose my house. I want to stay married. I love my wife. I'd be facing economic ruin just for the crime, quote unquote, of offering voters an alternative. Fortunately, in 2016, we filed suit. Not only against the insane signature requirements, but also against the extortion fines, and we won. Federal Judge Stengel ruled against the fines, said they were unconstitutional, and the signature requirements are too high. He reduced it to 5,000, 5, a mere two and a half times what the old parties need, even though Article 1 says it should be equal. But regardless, to quote Shakespeare, so shines a good deed in a weary world. Rude names, unconstitutional laws, bogus arguments, economic extortion, and people ask me why I'm involved in politics. To quote Howard Beale, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore because sometimes we win. On that happy note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 15 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com and here is there as well and on iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster, Stephen Worley, marketing guru, Connor Tregotis, featured Toastmaster narrator is District 38 Club Growth Director and Distinguished Toastmaster, Joe Smith. Keyboard wizard, Joe the Pag, radio producer, Brett Kronberger, executive producer, Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember our signature antimetaboli. More important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.